Hello everybody, hello masters of your own destiny. Welcome back to my basement. What a beautiful day. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I'm having a blast just because I'm talking to you and because I'm waiting to have a conversation with an expert that I cannot wait to reveal to you. Before I do that, I need to, of course, invite you to visit us at our website, fsbaseman.com, where you can have access to all our library of past episodes, not only in audio, but in video. And we have really cool educational tools that you can use to educate yourself more in the communication media and the art. fsbaseman.com. And I want to thank, of course, WCNY PBS in Central New York for the partnership. It's thanks to that partnership that we can come to you every other week. So WCNY, thank you so much for the trust. And thank you, the audience, of course, for tuning in, for looking for us. And remember, you can always be part of our community. You just need to subscribe to our YouTube channel, to our website, You can find us again in Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us so you don't miss any of the next episodes that are coming out. Today, we are talking about production design, probably one of my favorite aspects of visual storytelling. What is a production design? The person in charge that everything that is in front of the camera needs to be where it needs to be, from how the set look, how the set feel, props, Costumes, everything is part of that production design. So today we are going to be talking with Patrick Ho, which is the production design of many of my favorite shows, but particularly the show of Only Murders in the Building. I cannot wait. Uh, if you have not watched Only Murders in the Building, please go and look for it. It's a fantastic show. And today we're going to have the amazing opportunity to talk with the production designer of Only Murdered in the Building, Patrick Hope. So let's start this new conversation with the expert here in Francois Vita. Here we go. Patrick, I want to welcome you to my basement. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No, it's, uh, you have no idea how excited I have been the whole week thinking about this conversation because, in my opinion, production design and artistic direction is probably one of the most important pieces of the puzzle of what I call make-believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I always say, you know, you can have these really good actors and good story, but if the dragon doesn't look like a dragon... I'm out, right? <laughs> exactly. It's a, yeah, back to my theater days as a whole, like all my training is centered around, um, you know, the concept of suspension of disbelief. And so in television and film, I try really to have there be the least amount of suspension of disbelief required. You know, it's a way a lot more flexible in live theater uh, because, you know, you tend to be so much more abstract. Um, and, you know, and with television film, I try to be as realistic as possible because usually the there's something not realistic about the story. And the last thing you need is for the settings to, you don't want the settings to take you out of the the realism so so well that's well, that's where you are an expert in it and a, and a magician right i mean the things that you have been able to accomplish are fantastic but i always start this conversation a little bit like almost like uh, uh from scratch so anybody who is listening 
Uh, I know they must be asking themselves, I, I get this question from my students or listeners, like how you define a production designer and, and definitely what is the difference between an artistic director and a production design. But if you could, in simple way, explain to us what a production designer is, what how do you will explain that? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in my mind, a production designer or television or film is pretty much it's a little bit simplistic put, but but uh, is responsible for every single thing you see on camera except for costumes, except for the clothing, and of course hair and makeup with that, and uh, and the lighting, the lighting that is the lighting that is um, off camera, if you will, that's lighting the scene, and in fact all the lighting, all of the practical like lamps and overhead lightings that's built into architecture is part of the lighting design that I do. So uh, so while there's a lot of a lot of people to help and a lot of other department heads, uh, it's sort of my artistic vision and concept that I'm trying to sort of maintain and 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 tell the story through my vision of each scene, uh, you know, with their assistance. And um, so so in terms of the everything that you see on camera, it includes all the all the transportation, all the, any any plane, train, um, mm -hmm. automobile, bicycle that you might see, um, and all the food that actors eat, and um, the artwork on the walls, and of course all the more specific decoration of fabrics and wallpaper and everything. Um, you, you know, I either choose it myself directly or or through my decorating team. Mm -hmm. And we hone in on all of that together. So, uh, but I'm setting the tone and uh, for all of those visuals that you see, and trying to curate uh, an overall picture um, that's, well, like I say, that is curated through my eyes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Through your eyes, but at the same time, you have well. First, you must have a, a an amazing group of people working under your supervision right because yeah you're in, yeah you're in charge of like you say from the props and and the, everything that we see in camera is under your supervision but you create these spaces through the process of also a director who's saying this is how i want you to feel so how is that relationship between a production designer in this case you and the director um it's it's really vital to be as on the same page as much as possible but more importantly than the director and certainly in episodic television uh there's you know what we call the showrunner or usually which is usually generally also the head writer and and quite often the creator of the show and that's usually my ultimate highest up the ladder uh mm -hmm. boss if you will that i and that I run sort of all like artistic choices by for his or her approval. And so that's the person I work with the most because they're through line through a whole season of episodes. And my my time with the director is limited specifically to the episode that they're working on. Mm -hmm. and, you know, because in a 10 episode or 13 episode series, it's quite common that that all 13, all 13 episodes will be directed by 13 different people, um, you know, or in some instances, uh, 
they'll do two episodes or or a few over this over the season but in 13 episodes you're likely working with at least eight or nine different directors mm-hmm. um and uh and and they get very little time to to prep an episode uh so i try to have everything like the tone and designs of everything figured out almost before they arrive if possible if i've had the information early enough and i and having that approved at least the concept uh, of what the setting or location would look like uh, with the showrunner. And then when we're on the same page, then I can distill to the director and say, uh, um, you know, this is what we, you know, kind of had in mind. And then, and then with the director, it's more detailed work of uh, being on, of getting on their page about how they'd like to tell the story with cameras. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll enter it with how I would shoot it first in possibly in my design of a floor plan. Generally, what I try to do really is have create floor plans that are kind of director proof in that they can be shot from any angle and, and look well, and that they can have, you know, that there's plenty of opportunity for multiple camera angles mm. and where well, I think it's going to show up the most. Mm. Uh, but listen, you have been in business for a long, long time. I mean, this is not new for you. You, you are a master in the, in the process. And uh, uh, do you find your job stressful? I guess I, I'm trying to figure out in a ball. And of course that's very personal. Some people stress for anything <laughs> in your, in your own experience and in your own process of growing as a production designer, Uh, as an individual, uh, do you find at this moment that you uh, learn how to control the stress of something that can be very stressful? I it's it's definitely one of the things in my overall experiences that I've gotten better at, uh, better in turn, you know, putting a value judgment on it in in the sense of that. Um, I'm a little less nervous, anxious, or stressed out on a day-to-day basis over over the challenges. Because the big thing about designing or any aspect, any department, you know, the individual's responsibility is sort of like the the unknown. Can I pull this off in the time that there is? Like, like you know, I need to. I need to have this design. Okay. That needs to start with an idea. Well, I don't have the idea, you know, mm. like that idea hasn't come to me. So all of those, uh, or if you're thrown uh, a, a curveball by a showrunner or a director uh, that, you know, because they sort of want to approach it differently than I had imagined from reading the material, you know, then it's like thinking, thinking very quickly on your feet. And um, so I, I've uh, learned really gradually i must say and over a long period of time to be a little bit more relaxed about it and and um it's a confidence thing and it, about telling yourself that like like i have to i have to look at my past success to remind mm. myself that well things have always worked out remember when I was really skeptical about this and then look how it turned out mm. or remember how I thought it might be not well received. And, you know, I was getting rounds of applause or, you know, called out about it in a good way. Uh, so I have to remind myself of those things of that, like even in every single dire time when I thought 
uh, oh, this could be it where I just don't know how to handle this or what to do or what it should look like. Uh, you know, and then I come up with something and it works and, and then voila, film it after. That. I just, I just, that you, you're, you're talking and I'm just like, oh my God, this is, uh, because yes, of course it have to be a stressful job, but at the same time, the, the whole process is so important inspiring and so like you are half of an architect you are half of a set decorator you have i mean all the components that you are responsible for it's just fantastic and that's the point is when you watch what works your work in for example only mergers in the building um it's a very intimate relationship between those spaces and those characters Uh, and that is the that is the beauty of it. When you go to those apartments, even if the character will not be there, I can kind of imagine who lived there. And I think you accomplished that, right? I mean, those apartments in the famous <laughs> building uh, um, are, are fantastic. And they are very much representation of each of these characters. T tell me a little more about how how were you involved in the in the project of Only Murders in the Building and how were you inspired to create these beautiful places. Well, first of all, thank you for those observations. Uh, that's nice to hear. And it's one of the number one things that I try to, to do is establish character in a space. And like you say, be able to establish it, whether they're there or not, that you, you know, because my favorite thing is for, to open a scene with the camera on the room and maybe the room's empty and then somebody enters and you just have a couple of seconds of a wide shot and just to take in the space first instead of the opposite of starting on a close-up of a teacup you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. you know to a mouth and you know and you never see the room <laughs> so you know like that's not visually that's not helping tell the story um so in the case of only murders um I have a really extraordinary decorator named Rich Murray, and he's uh, been on the project since the beginning of it. So he was um, strongly responsible for establishing the tone and look of the three main hero sets that that the season one began with of Charles's apartment played by Steve Martin and Oliver's apartment played by Martin Short. And then the, And likewise, the sort of undone, unrenovated apartment for Selena Gomez, uh, you know, for Mabel, played by Selena. And, uh, yeah, and like you say, all three, you know, Selena's apartment that was undone was completely mirrored her like lost soul who, you know, had mm -hmm. no purpose and trying to find herself and depressed about many, you know, so it's just sort of fit that perfectly. And mm. uh, so, uh, So those things were set up in season one and and um, the original production designer, Kurt Beach and Rich Murray established those and that kind of set a tone for the whole show. And when I began in season two and uh, the first set to do uh, when I didn't know the show well at all, other than watching a, mm -hmm. the episodes as an audience member, uh, was developing Bunny's apartment. And that was fun because she was a character that was well established in season one as the mm -hmm. board or condo board president the building's you know board president and um you know and she was going to be dead and so uh, or you know in story she was already dead so was designing a character that was not alive 
and the and at the time of doing it didn't even know that um she would necessarily be in any scenes so i fortunately they wrote scenes where uh of flashbacks when she was still you know occupying mm-hmm. the apartment but otherwise that something right that character and that character is not going to be around to help support your ideas right so that's a real situation where the the look and tone and atmosphere has to um define the character like you say without their help because they're generally not in the scenes mm-hmm. and, and that's how that one unfolded with because the first time the audience sees it is with the trio of charles and mabel and oliver going you know basically breaking into the apartment to snoop around and so they and the audience are kind of seeing it for the first time right um but again is is it that's the point that even when she's not there that apartment is such a representation of who this woman was you yeah. know uh, our homes are, are are a representation of we are like uh, do we have pictures in the wall we don't have pictures in the wall uh do you know treat my home has a museum and all the w- walls are white and i don't you know it, that is a, a real, uh, it, when I talk to set designers or costume designers and I talk about character development and how important is this process, I hear also from actors that say, yes, it's not only the the costume that I use, but it's the space that is surrounding me. If I don't believe that the space that is, is my character living in is the real home, it's a detachment of my character, right? I, you need to feel like, like, Okay, these characters arrive to the space that feel like home, and and that, I think that is the beauty, especially in only only murders in the building because you are playing with a building, so each 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 apartment is a representation of these characters. Yeah, uh, and, they, and they've really been become characters themselves, and particularly, you know, in season two when there was a storyline about who designed the building and the secret passageways and. Uh, and and uh, so the building's really uh, another kind of main character, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's in the title of the show, and you know, and it's about things that happen there. So, um, so that's kind of a big deal to to sort of honor um, some realistic architecture and plausible architecture for that type of New York City apartment building, and um, which are pretty. They're not like exclusively unique to New York City, but but it's a, is a style that was developed in the city at the turn of the century, and you know, and I think certain others, you know, Paris, certain other cities had a similar sort of idea at a similar time, but mm-hmm. but um, but it's a very was very specific sort of group housing, if you will, that was developed mm-hmm. at the turn of the century. Mm. And Patrick, and for this last season, which is fantastic, um, that is also like again when I watch TV, I maybe I'm a, I'm a TV junker. I watch everything. You name me, I I watch it. Um, but I watch it because I'm fascinated about the process in general, from acting to set design to everything involved in it. Right. So I'm watching this last season, and of course, a lot of the the episodes take place in a theater. Um, yeah. I'm curious to know how much were you involved, probably in your totality, not necessarily only of finding that theater and what is the, you know, 
we were thinking about, well, maybe the underground of the theater is not the real theater, it's, it's a studio, but also you need to produce a show, a theater show that is not real, but it need to feel real. How much were you involved in the actual process of creating the lighthouse and the, you know, the actual set for the theater? Well, a hundred percent involved in the sort of um, everything that was the scenery that you saw on stage was definitely um, the concepts that came from me and, you know, my assistants in my art department um, in terms of lighthouse what the in, the information that i got from my showrunner was that the make-believe play that then turns into a musical should take place at a nova scotia lighthouse so that was the end of his uh, <laughs> description was a nova scotia lighthouse and, and uh he, and he's very good and he's very helpful um so of course he said a few more sentences but um you know nothing that about the style or anything just about sort of the staging requirements it's like he felt like we should have a sense of of because there'll be a dead body found on the rocks you know that that mm -hmm. sort of thing so that was the kind of information i get so we developed the design from uh you know from again from that part we talked about earlier of my re of researching um because in the case of designing all of that stuff in the beginning of this talk where we spoke about that I would read a script with whatever treatment, well, all of these scripts had no descriptions of the the scenes of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, and normally, if you're designing a Broadway musical, um, you you have either you have some songs to listen to or a whole score to listen to, uh, lyrics of songs that you could read you have the whole you know book like it all exists for the right. whole show right uh, here no book or music or anything existed at the time i needed to do the design so there was no inspiration to pull from other than the verbal conversations um from mm -hmm. my showrunner of describing he describing things in words and then knowing the actors that were going to be involved and knowing the composers that were hired to write music, but I never heard any music <laughs> or was able to read any lyrics. Like they were all, they were working on that, you know, on their own. And I had to do a design, you know, prior to being able to see any of that content. So, uh, so that was really important to just do my research and make sure that he liked the research and then, show him sketches and model pieces as we develop them to keep checking in of like, are you sure this is good? This is going to work for the whole show because I've never seen any of it. And, and in fact, um, even in the finished scripts there, I, I don't recall even the, even them publishing the lyrics of the mm -hmm. <laughs> printing the lyrics of the song that would be sung during the scene. Like mm -hmm. even ever in the script, I of course by that point had heard had heard recordings because the actors had uh, actors and musicians had rehearsed it all and had you know and there had had pre-recorded music. So by that point I'd heard it, but uh, again all these designs were done already and things were being built and painted before I ever heard anything. So uh, but that's a unique situation. It's usually not that way. So it developed all of that for the theater scenery for sure, and then. Um, choosing the theater we considered uh, various ones but uh, in a way the one that we used was kind of new was 
the best choice. And it wasn't really the only choice, but it was the best choice for mm. the tone of the show. The beautiful lobby and house, you know, was commensurate with the kind of elevated sense that we like for the show and the elevated sense of the Arconia building. And like, you know, it just kind of fits into the whole palette of the show. Um, but we also knew that we needed to, that we could only time-wise and location time-wise uh, only be able to be at the theater so much and generally just for the amount of time it took to film the scenes mm -hmm. of the show on stage. So there, from the beginning, we had planned to do any auxiliary spaces would be thing, sets that I designed and built at our TV studios. So all the dressing rooms and all the dressing room corridors and anything backstage and um, I love it. You know, the Jerry's layer of the part up in the attic, like all of those things would be stage built sets so that they could be filmed whenever we needed to and go to them as often as we wanted at, at our own TV stage. Because the at the at the legitimate Broadway house that we were using, um, we needed to set up what we were going to film and and then take it down as soon as we were done it couldn't mm -hmm. we, it was not uh we were not allowed to leave it there for the season because right it was a regular location that would be rented out to other so you you have an environment that is, is gorgeous theater is, is beautiful then you need to create the other spaces that are part of the theater in a tv studio however those spaces need to look like they are that they match yeah right and that is a tricky aspect it, it cannot be okay well this this is the theater but suddenly we go to the uh um dressing rooms and the dressing rooms feel like mm, that they are from a different theater right and and that is the beauty of the magic of what you do is that no i i i assume you guys were recording in the actual underground of this theater right Right, and uh, and not one bit of it was. So, um, I mean, with the except in season two, in the very last episode, when we first introduced the theater, and we see the one shot where you see Paul Rudd playing Ben Glenroy come out of his dressing room door. It's literally, it's one shot, and Oliver is on one side of the door, and Ben opens the door and walks toward camera. That, in season two, we did, you know, which was very tight, and you kind of hardly saw it any background but that was shot at the at the uh theater um by all of season three we created that whole world mm. and i just tried to uh through again through research of other broadway theaters and seeing how much you know because some of them the those spaces actually aren't necessarily as characterful or mm -hmm. or they're not necessarily architecturally as they're definitely not as ornamental as the public spaces in the theater, right? So the the lobbies have a certain, and, and the house, a certain ornamental style and tone and everything. Uh, and then all the parts that the public is not going to see are more, uh, you know, more basic. I mean, just mm -hmm. even like just like at a department store or something that's, or a restaurant right. that's all dressed up and fancy for the, public eye and then the all the literally what we call behind the scene you know everything mm -hmm. that the public's <laughs> yeah. not going to see is more is more basic and um so uh uh 
but yes, I tried to create a tone. It was important. We were, that we were going to tell the story that there was a long history to that theater uh, and that it was definitely a turn of the century built theater. And, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, because there's some Broadway theaters that are that were built in the 1960s through mm-hmm. 1990s or 2000s. So it, mm-hmm. it was not going to be a contemporary space. And so I, through the dressing rooms and the hallways, I wanted to reflect uh, what's common at that um, all kinds of technology from different eras and graphics and decor, like it tends to stay around as long as possible until mm-hmm. and, and has never gotten rid of, you know, if if there's a new if there's a new intercom, usually you just add the new intercom system and you don't necessarily rip out the old one. It's like you uh-huh. use the old one until the new one's ready to go. Right. And, you know, so like quite often you'd have a newer speaker next to a speaker that was 50 years older mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I tried to do that with, uh, with that type of equipment. Well, you, you certainly believe me, you, uh, I, I, I'm so in awe with what you do. And I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be with us. I know uh, you're quite a busy man, uh, but I do, um, want to express my gratitude but also my my I'm a fan of your work so thank you for doing what you do and the amazing work that you do thank you so much I really appreciate it this was a really great talk for me and I loved your questions they're really insightful ones and it was easy to hopefully give informative answers and uh, you know I, I would love to meet with you again and happy to You know, this is fun for me, too, to be able to talk about the worlds we create and, and what we do. Yeah. So thanks yeah. for the opportunity. And, and, and um, you know, let's meet again. <laughs> <laughs>